Y'all ever watched any of those uh shows that do the where are they now? Or like you ever thought about, you know, I don't, I don't know, certain actors like there were a big movie when I was a kid. And then like now they're like, you know, where'd they go? Um, you know, kind of things. I think they just now come out with, I hadn't watched any of them yet. So, so don't spoil it, but they come out with like the new karate kid series. Um, you know, I was, I was a big karate kid, Daniel LaRosso, wax on, wax off, and Mr. Miyagi. Um, you know, and, and y'all was wondering like, what happened to that guy? He never, like, he never did anything else. And so, you know, where, where did he go? What ended up? This is a true story. He was so well known as the karate kid. That's why he never got any other roles. I'm dead serious. Every time he got turned down for, for a new movie, a new show or anything, it was because every time somebody saw him, they tied him directly to the karate kid. Um, now I can't even think of the other guy's name, but his enemy in the movie, um, you know, the, the jerk that fought for the, the Cobra Kai, um, you know, that guy, uh, he got famous and was able to keep doing commercials and a couple other things, but he always had to be a mean karate guy. Um, you know, so, so it's just funny how like they got labeled. And, and that label, you know, could do bad or good for them. Um, you know, but we think of, of other things or, or maybe like anybody enjoy going to high school reunions? Nobody. They're like, okay, my wife's the only one. Oh, oh, you're not alone. There's one other. Oh, two, two. All right. So, so <laughs> what do you think about one, one of the only joys to go or, or I can say it the other way. Why are you afraid to go? I was going to say because you might not live up to the expectations that others may have had for you or something like that. Oh, but part of the joy of going, though, is to see, like, where did they make it? Did Mr. Most Likely to Succeed really become that or is he just a bum on the street? Um, you know, did Mr. Athletic, you know, really make it big or is he just some fat slob sitting on the couch now? Oh, um, you know, what, where, what, what happened to him? What did they really, really become? And, and when we look at this, this chapter right here, man, if you and I hadn't really been getting some hints along the way through this book, the life of Solomon, when we get to chapter 11, you could really ask the question, what happened to him? I mean, I mean, really think about it as we've gone through this story and, and we get here and yeah, chapter 11's got it where it all goes wrong. But let's be honest, if we look at the big scheme from each of the, the previous chapters, you know, we've seen success, we've seen glory, we've seen wisdom, we've seen devotion to God, like so much that he gets to sit down and have a conversation with God. Um, you know, I'm not talking about like one of those church things where you leave and everybody's like, oh, I got this warm, fuzzy feeling like God was in the house today. No, like he sat down and had a conversation, heard the audible voice of God. Um, that is what I would consider a spiritual high uh, moment. So he's had all this. And then suddenly chapter 11, he's building temples. Now, now you guys got to check this out and go deeper. Now we're not got time for it. He's building temples for God's where literally they would sacrifice children. He's building temples for for a, for a sex goddess where part of worship was to actively participate in some of that stuff. Yeah, I'm telling you, this is it, it has gone deep and gross as it can possibly get, and it was fast. You know, I I had to snicker a little bit that it's called chapter 11. You think about, does anybody ever see bankruptcy coming? I mean, think about it. You're living glorious. You're living awesome. You got it all, and then boom, you get a letter in the mail, and you're filing chapter 11. You know, so chapter 11, which I know we as man put the chapters and the numbers and all that, but it is, it is kind of a godsendence that it's called chapter 11 where they're losing everything. So here's what I want us to do and understand this is why. So from 14 through 40, or actually 14 through 43, is what we consider the end of the chapter. I'm going to focus primarily on verses 1 through 13, but you can't get the beginning without knowing the end. So that's why we read the whole thing. And the reason I'm going to gloss over the end 
is because the end sets up the whole second part of first Kings. So really today is like the end of part one of first Kings. Solomon dies. All right. So, so you know that, that, that's an ending part. Uh, you know, the rise of, of a great man has come and now the fall of that great man has also brought his destruction and his end. So here's what I want you to look at. We talk about where is he now? Well, let me tell you where Solomon was now. If we were to first look at verse 14, that kind of transitions that change. And again, I'm going to fly through these just so we can get to the, the meat and potatoes. So the Lord raised up this guy who was going to be an enemy against Solomon. Hold on. The Lord raised up somebody that's going to be an enemy to his king. Like, does that seem like a good thing? Right? No, I, not, man, God, what, what is your, hold on. Let's look again and, and understand the history. Now, this guy, this guy's getting vengeance because they had wiped out his family and he just happened to survive because his dad's slaves or, or servants had taken him and, and hit him away. And now he comes back as an adult, as a warrior, kind of like a movie scene. There'll probably be a movie one day uh, about this. Um, so, so you've got that going. Then you get to verse 23 and it says this, God raised up another guy who's going to be an enemy against Solomon. Like, hold on, God, like you're raising up the enemies now to take on your your own man. And then you get to verse 26 and it says, now Solomon's servant, uh, Jeroboam, son of uh, Nebat, he, 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 he's also going to rebel against Solomon. And you're seeing all this about I me. Mean, remember now, previous chapters, we had queens traveling the length of the world, the known world to get to Solomon to check out what he's going. And now you've got people being raised up and rebelling and going against him. This is going to be the first time, and we all knew it was coming, where the kingdom begins to get divided. I mean, think about this. This prophet of God, he takes his, his clothes and he rips them into pieces and says, this is what God's going to do with the kingdom now. And we look at this and we're like, man, what is really going on? God, what are you really doing? And here's what I want you to understand, guys. To me, this is probably the biggest grace God could give because this is summing up a long period of time. Understand that. So when God raised up an enemy, maybe a light should have went off for Solomon. Maybe that warning light we talked about last week, maybe it should have been flashing. And when he raised up another enemy and he raised up another, enemy, then someone in his own household begins to rebel against him. And my goodness, if you aren't getting the lights by now that are flashing all over the place, Solomon, you're never going to get it. So when I say this is a little bit of grace, I think it's a lot of grace. Because a lot of times when stuff starts going bad in our life, we want to blame God. And what if it's what God is using to try to redirect our view and to get us back on track? I mean, God's not doing anything he didn't tell Solomon he wasn't going to do. He said, Solomon, if you don't walk the way your daddy walked, which was not perfect. So you could have built these temples. You could have fell in love with these women. You could have sinned and sinned and sinned. But your father, when he did those things, he acknowledged that I was wrong. And he repented and he broke down and he got back right with me. Yeah, he made another mistake, but he broke down and he got back right with me. He constantly knew that he was wrong and admitted that he was wrong and tried his best to stay the right path. And most of the time, in all honesty, he didn't really repeat too many of the same sins. I mean, you think after Bathsheba, he didn't have any more wives. So at least he finally did get to some learning parts, right? So so you're hearing all this and you're like, man, there ought to be some lights going off for Saul. But there's no lights. There's no lights going on. Solomon, he's on not only a downward spiral, he's on such a downward spiral. Look at what it says toward the end of this thing. Therefore, Solomon tries to kill this man of God. You know, like what somebody has to say, you just kill him, right? Does he not sound really familiar right now? When the man of God who's going to pre be the predecessor, those are hard words for me, I don't know how you read these hard words, right? Does it not sound familiar that when the predecessor, who's the man of God, telling you what's going to happen and you as the king tries to kill him? Mind us of a story? 
Oh, some of us do listen in church. Thank God. Right. Yes. He's acting just like he's acting just like his father's biggest enemy. Wow. What a turnaround. Right. And, and, and he goes through this thing and, and this guy finally goes. And, and then it tells us like this, this is the end. He ruled for 40 years. What this really means, history tells us that, that he, he probably became king right around 20. 40 plus 20 is. No, 20 plus 40 is not 40. Who said that? <laughs> 60. My, my point is this. In Bible times, how long was people living? Now, now, don't go back to Genesis with me, guys, and say 900. No, nah, not quite that long in the book of Kings. Okay, but they were living a lot longer than 60. 60 is really young. What was another promise God gave Solomon? If you walk in the ways of your father like your father walked, I will promise you a long and blessed life. Well, he's losing his blessings, and now what is he losing? Life. God will fulfill his promises, whether they're good or they're bad. We need to be aware of that. Okay? And he gets to the end of this thing, and, 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 and that's it. But, but if you look at this thing, you've got, you got to go back to the beginning. What ha- go back to the original question. What happened to this guy? Why is he where he is? Well, let's go back to the very beginning of verse one. And it says he got a thousand wives. It says Solomon loved. Now I want to look at this right here. Solomon loved and not too much because we got a chart to go with it here in a few points. Solomon loved many foreign women. Does he really love these women? What is he? No, you can be passionate about it. Ain't nothing wrong about it. No, we don't love them. What, what does he really love? Now, see, that's our common. That's our common thing. But hold on to that thought, okay? Hold on to that thought, because we need to we need to break that common idea we have about Solomon. That's not his problem. Lust is not his problem, okay? What is it? Power. Power. So what does he truly love getting from these women? And no Wednesday night people, it ain't sex, right? What is it? The power. Now here's why I know this is all he loves about this woman is what he can get from him from them. I'm sorry. Because he doesn't do anything good for him. When you love somebody, don't you do what's best for them? Would it not be best if you knew the blessings of God and had a queen of a foreign nation come and tell you how blessed you were by God? Would it not be best to tell somebody you love, hey, what you believe is wrong? Hey, what you're practicing is wrong. But he never does that, does he? What does it say? He built them their own thing. He tolerated their sin. And then he joined their sin by the very end. That's why you can't tolerate sin, folks, because eventually you'll join in on it. He didn't love them. He loved the benefit of them. He didn't love them because here at the very beginning, and I'm, I'm going to use this for number one as well, but just so you get early, he's not even following scripture anymore. What is, who does scripture say is the head of the household? What are y'all like, scared of your wives? Uh, understand this. You, you don't have to be like a, a jerk boss to be controlled. God put me in charge of my household. I'm number one in my house. Right? But guess what that also means? Just like Solomon, I do wrong, God's going to smack me first. Women understand that it's not a downgrade on you and it's not something you need to be ashamed of and say, I don't know how I could ever respect and let him lead me. You're not respecting and leading him. You're respecting and leading the one that put him in charge. You got to view it differently. You view it the way scripture says, not the way your worldly mind has got it going. Okay. There's some of our biggest things. So so he's not only not going against scripture, he's got a thousand women, right? Which I'm thinking, man, this guy's supposed to be the wisest guy ever. Even I know you don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not getting two, more or less a thousand. Right? One is enough and all that, right? But here's the thing we fall into, and here's where I want to understand. We get into the problem of thinking Solomon had a lust problem. 
thousand women, that's a whole lot of happy times, right? Right? There's a, there's a whole lot of it, right? Man, do you realize what kind of serious libido you'd have to have? You know what I'm saying? Like, he's got so many, and I'm going to show you, like, this isn't a problem mathematically here in just a second, right? He's got so many women, he can't keep up with anniversaries and birthdays. He can't. I don't even know for sure if he can keep up with their names, to be honest with you. Think about it. How many of you know a thousand people? How many of you know a hundred people? Can you always remember their names? You ever had that awkward moment you're walking through Walmart and it's somebody you know you ought to know? And you're do I know you, right? Could you imagine Solomon walking around his palace? Aren't you one of my wives? I mean, what an idiot, right? There's a lot going on here, but here's what we need to understand, guys. There's a lot more going on than lust, okay? Agent kings would marry women so they got peace with other nations. It makes sense, right? Think about it. If you wanted to, if you wanted to marry somebody and you were afraid of them attacking you, it'd be kind of hard for them to attack you if their daughter is sleeping right next to me. Right? I mean, that'd have to be a pretty jerk move. So he's doing this for political gain and peace. It says that 700 of the women he married were princesses. Well, what's a princess? A king's daughter, somebody of, of royal bloodline. Right? So, so, so we got this going on and we got, this is way more about security than it is about sex. Now, now, before we even get into our main points, you need to make sure you're applying this for yourself. What do you do for security rather than just sex? Think about it. Not, not, to, not to just pick on because they're not singled out in any way, but an easy example would be a, a woman who remarries for what? Security rather than just sex. Let's be honest. Life today is not set up for a working mom if she's got multiple children and, and, and nobody helping out. Right? So therefore, she she risks falling in for security rather than, let's just call it love. We don't have to be sex at this point, right? Doesn't have to be. It, it, it's a warning. Same thing with, with maybe a guy who's just afraid to be alone. It's, whatever it is, right? This goes directly against what they've been commanded in Deuteronomy 17 not to do. Don't make foreign treaties with other nations and, and use them for your security. Use God to be your security. And there's a problem sometimes where we need to apply this to make sure we understand it. God is to be our security, not any person, not anything, not any job, not any bank account or anything else. Solomon knew what God had said, but he didn't trust it enough and he wanted to have a little extra insurance. So he follows through with it this way. And gradually Solomon began to be attached to these women, it told us. He began to turn his heart away from God. He built them their own places where they could have altars to do what they wanted, including sacrificing their own children. And then he began to join them in worshiping. It is no surprise because God had told him all along what? If you fall in this trap, this is what's going to happen. I don't know why sometimes we get so surprised when we fall into traps, especially for those of us that are believers and have actually read scripture. It's like, oh, man, I can't believe that happened. Pastor's been telling you for seven months it was going to happen. For 10 years, your best friend's been telling you you're going to get in trouble if you keep doing this. And then we're like, oh, we get in trouble when, when this happens, right? We got that song called Slow Fade. It's a slow fade, right? I can't sing it all, so hopefully you know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it, it really is sometimes. Sometimes it becomes a slow fade. A slow fade where we gradually begin to tolerate more and we tolerate more until we're actively participating in what's going on. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a good, these are really good points for everybody, but I am so glad we got a couple of young people in here because these are the greatest advice they will ever get if they want to set their lives up for success. Okay, so, so when I jump into this thing, which by the way, Alabama had it all wrong. 
I, I wanted to get that song going, but Crystal didn't like that idea. Um, you know, you can bring a good man down. Or you can't bring a good man down? Yes, chapter 11 says you can bring a good man all the way down. All right? So as I say this, and, and ladies, please excuse me, I am going to say man because he's a man. These points apply to you as well. All right? All right especially. So, so here's what began this fall. Number one, a good man is brought down by his disbelief in God's promises. Just look back to verse one. We kind of already hinted at it, right? A, a good man is brought down by his disbelief in God's promises. People ask all the time, what can I do to guarantee a really good walk? With the Lord. You can believe his word. You can believe his word for what it says. Verse 1 to say, King Solomon loved many foreign women. No, wrong. Deuteronomy 17 told you repeatedly not to do that. Other areas God had promised or commanded you not to do that. Right? So he's, he's not following. He's got a disbelieving God's word. He's not trusting God. His core problem and our core problem when we get into sin is that we don't trust God enough. Now, now here's the math way of proving he'd had a little lust problem and a, and a lot of security problem or a lack of belief problem. 70%, easy math, right? I love how God made it easy for us. There's a 1,000 of them, 700 of them equals 70%. Even you people who have been sitting at home for school, you should be able to do that kind of math, right? So 70% of them were political power, right? He married princesses for 70. 30% of them, there's your concubines. What were they for? Fun. <laughs> Somebody got the good, clean way of answering it. I like it, right? Fun. 30% for fun, 70% for political power. His problem is not lust. His problem is a lack of trust in God. What motivated his downfall was his unbelief in God. And I think a lot of times our sin, at the root of every one of our sins, is an unbelief in God. A lack of trust in God. Talk to a teenager, talk to a young adult, talk to an old adult, I don't even care, right? And ask him, why wouldn't you surrender your life over to God? Because I'm afraid it's not going to be fun anymore. Because I'm afraid I'm going to be miserable because I don't like the rules that are in there and all this right here. What you're saying is he's not trustworthy. then. I mean, that's in essence, that's what you're saying, because God promises me great things if I do what he's told me to do. Solomon had great blessings going on until he started screwing things up. Then what happened? Well, then we got 30 verses about how miserable he was at the end of his life. Right. So, we, so we've got these promises going. We, we've got a lack of unbelief that's going and a lack of trust. And God, what area in your life are you not obeying God in because it's an area you're afraid to let go and really trust God in? Now think for a minute. you got to think for you and yourself on that one. There's an area in your life right now that you're refusing to trust God in. You're, you're almost like, a, anybody ever did any rock climbing, repelling? Even if you didn't rock climb, you can repel, right? Part of repelling, the only way it really works the right way, now you see people who don't have a lot of trust, they look as goofy as they can on a rope. But I tell you, they're like swinging all over the place, they're they're, they're, they're stiff and they're bouncing and they can't control. Well, some of them are screaming they can't control, right? Part of repelling those is being able to just release all your weight and rely on the rope. If you use the rope as a safety net, it's, you're never going to be able to repel the right way. Now, if you, re, if, if you lean back completely, let go of all your weight just like the instructor's telling you to do or just like you know to do, it works beautiful. Now, that's a hard thing to do because what does that mean? You've got to have a lot of trust in that rope, right? You've got to trust your equipment. What is it in our life sometime that we hadn't fully let go of all the weight on and trusted God with? That's sometimes our biggest problem. If we're not letting go of everything, how can God control the things that we're still trying to hold on to? If we've got safety nets set up, are we really trusting God? Or, or are we just trying to think we would trust God, right? You can't press on. Think about it this way, and here's a question maybe. Where do you not trust the promises of God specifically? If God has made promises in his, in his word, where are we not trusting him at? Here's some of the common ones. Now, you think for yourself now, okay? 
Some of the most common ones I see in our lives is romance. Romance, right? Dating someone you shouldn't date. Not trusting God with the time and not trusting God with this, not trusting God. You believe that if you get this one wrong, your whole life is going to be miserable and out of your control. So you, you cling to a little bit of the control that you want. Right? We do it sometimes. All because we're afraid. Another big one. How about money? Right? The majority of church going people, now this is, this is true. The majority of them, I believe, uh, honestly, aren't just stingy. They just have a trust problem. They got a trust problem. The Bible says what? Give God the first and the best. Okay? Now, we always throw out that 10%. I'd like to add there's a word before that that says you start with 10%. Okay? So once you reach the 10%, you're like, yeah, I'm done. No, you're not done. You just started. Right? You, you finally the starting thing. Okay? Somebody's like, oh, crap. We got to start giving more. Right? Hey, you do what your God tells you to do. We don't pass an offering plate. Right? Now, now here, here about this. How about this? When, when it comes to this, and here's what I think it is. When I say stingy, here's what it is. We're afraid. We're afraid to live off 90%. We're afraid to live off 80%. We're afraid it's not going to work out the way that, that we want it to work out if we do things God's way. we got a trust issue. It's exactly what we have. We have a trust issue. I'm going to tell you right now, like, Paxton showed me a lesson uh, today. Aubrey had, had baked me some cookies and, and, and some pumpkin bread cake and all this, and, and we had demolished it, but we didn't clean the dish. So I told Paxton, I said, Paxton, you got to clean this dish, man, because we got to return it. He cleans the dish. He's all proud. He's drying it. He comes running in the bathroom while I'm getting out the shower. I said, what in the world are you doing? He goes, you need to read this. So I'm looking down at the dish, and in layman's terms, as I can get it for you guys, it's called a giving dish. It says, I've given this to you so that you can now bless and give to somebody else. And I was like, thank God we didn't give it back and look like the horrible pastor family. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're supposed to be the spiritual leaders. We get a dish that comes with a spiritual lesson, and here we were going to give it back to them. No, you bless somebody else, right? I don't want to. Right? So, so there was that. But, but here, here's the truth behind it, guys. You guys blessed us, and we were super grateful for it. Y'all took over Thanksgiving time, so we didn't get to, right? We're super grateful because we, we actually like blessing people. Like, I, I love getting to do small things for people. I, like, I get a joy out of it. I, I really, really do. I don't, I mean, even if it's something as simple at the shop, it's like a, a plug for somebody at like a, an awkward moment. And they're like, you fixed my tire for free. Yeah, it cost me like 99 cent, man. Those plugs I buy thousands at a time. It ain't no big deal, right? But, but, but people love it. I love getting that kind of reception from people because what are we supposed to be doing? Giving the love of God. To others, right? Do you think God wants people to be stingy all the time? And, and no, quit holding on to things. God will take care of you, right? God will take it for the first time in my life. Now, I, I hate bills. Anybody like bills? Okay. I, I hate them. First time, this is honest. Now, first time in my life, it shouldn't have took me this long to get there. So you guys don't, don't learn, learn from me. Don't learn to be like me, right? First time in my life, medical bill coming from the thing I had, you know, whatever ago. A uh, bunch of them are like little small ones. And I, I didn't get mad about them because I knew they weren't the right one. When you get a $500 medical bill after being put to sleep and some surgery done, you know it ain't the right one. So you don't even like entertain that. Right. Part of me, part of me began to think, you know what? This is awesome. Like, like this is all they're charging me. But the inside was like, no, you idiot. It's going to be way more. So the real one came in, which was way more than $500, way more than all the $500 bills that have been added up. First time ever, I didn't get upset at all. I was like, you know what? I was thinking this. I don't even care. You know why? Because I'm going to send them $25 a month because that's all you got to do, right? As long as I get it paid up before I'm dead or the next time I get something stuffed in my throat and I got to die, well, they won't get their money, right? So I didn't care. It's no big deal, right? You got to take care of it, though. Do you not think God's going to take care of that? I mean, do you really think like the next time I go to the hospital down at St. Francis, which may be another 20 years because that's about my average, go every 20 years, right? Do you not think the next time I go there, they'll be like, oh, you know what? This guy only sent us $25 a month. 
for the last 15 years. Let's let him choke a little longer. No, they don't do that. Right? God's got us. God's got us set up, man. Quit worrying about stuff. Now, now that we're having fun, let's be, let's, let's get back serious because here's a big one, man. Here's a big one. We talk about the promises of God, things that we don't like to let go of. What about forgiveness? Right? Romance? Money? Forgiveness. Biggest one I see us as, as believers. Now, here's the sad part. I'm talking about us as believers. I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about those in the church. Biggest problem we got, forgiveness. And here's the attitude and here's the reason why. Because we think, oh, if I forgive them, they're going to think it's okay and they're going to do it again and they're going to do this and they're going to do that and they're going to hurt me one more time. So you nurse your bitterness because you don't trust God that can take care of you. That's what's really going on. You call it whatever you want to call it. And I'm not telling you I don't relate with you. I fully understand. Right? But the honest answer is this. We nurse our bitterness because we don't trust God to take care of us. Why? Has there ever been a moment God did, God failed you? Not failed your little wants and your Christmas list, okay? He's not Santa Claus. I'm talking about where he failed you. No. Not once. You bring it to me if he did, and I challenge you that I can find something God was doing with it. And that's a big, bold statement to say, okay? Because especially now that we're online. If you're not present actively in church, we don't take that uh, with you. Don't email me. Don't text me. Don't call me. Don't Facebook message me. Okay? All honesty, I love you guys. Right? How about this one? How about this one? Life throws you a curveball. I hate curveballs. Right? Life throws you a curveball. What, something you're not expecting is what a curveball is. You lose your job. That's a tough one. Right? You, you get passed over for a promotion you thought you were getting. You don't get in the school you wanted to get into. You, you got cut from the squad you thought you had made. You get an unexpected medical diagnosis or an unexpected medical bill. Right? But what about them? What's our first impulse a lot of times? Oh, God doesn't have a plan for me. No, God's got a great plan for you. It just might not be on the road that you wanted it to be on. Okay, because you live in a fallen world and this world sucks. But God doesn't. It's not his fault, right? So so, so we, we take a little bit of the weight back from God because we want to hold on to it and we want to handle the situation our own rather than just letting go and, and, and allowing a trust relationship with God. Now, you all know that means you got to do stuff too. So this is just point number one, okay, with the let go, right? Number two. I think the, 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 the root cause for Solomon's downfall and for us is that we need securities other than God. That's one. Number two is this, though. A good man is brought down by a disregard for God's word. We, we don't really believe God's word the way it says. What, what did verse, verse two tell us? He got a lot of wives, but are also reminded us what God had commanded him not to do that. We spent two weeks talking about how much gold he made sure to get. What did the same chapter in Deuteronomy tell kings? Don't multiply gold for your household. The guy had so much gold, he was drinking from a gold cup. So much gold, we, we talked about it. He could have built, and this proves it right here, because this is like a little backlash of what's going on. He built so many temples and still had more money than he could have ever spent in all his life. What did he do? He multiplied gold in his household, is what it sounded like he did to me. Right? He's going directly against God's word. He took 150,000 plus laborers to spend seven years on the temple and then spent 13 years on his own house. That was chapter seven. Right? And I tell you what Solomon was thinking, the same thing you and I think sometimes, right? Oh, these things aren't really that important, right? Hey, I'll enjoy a, a few monies and a few honeys and it'll all be okay. That's his idea. And I tell you where his idea come from, because you and I, I know many believers who fall into this trap. Those things didn't even make God's top 10 list. Now, thank God's grand that you're trying to at least follow the top 10, but there's another 500 and no, 623 of them, okay? 
So, so I think we, we got, we got a long way to go when we look at this stuff, right? Here's, here, here's the truth though. Here's the truth. The danger of sin is not how wicked or immoral the act is. The danger of sin is that we lose and drive out the presence of God through sin. Now we understand how small sins now matter. It's not that a small sin is not that immoral or, 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 or not that wicked. It's that a small sin, even a small sin, drives out the presence of God. God had to leave Solomon, which is why enemies were not allowed to rise up against him. Right? Imagine you bought a 5,000 square foot home. That's a big house, ain't it? If you got one bigger than that in here, we all hate you. Just being honest with you, right? So, so you buy this house. It is great. But when you buy the house, the owner makes this deal. I get to own that nail hanging above that archway. You think, man, 5,000 square foot houses is great. All he wants is this one nail. Wonderful. I'm going to take the deal. Except for he comes up in there and he hangs this dead deer carcass that he picked up on the road of 61 because some redneck ran it over. It was too small to take home after shooting. And he hangs it on this nail because he owns that nail. Now how valuable is your 5,000 square foot home? Can you imagine how much that thing would stink? My dog ran in what I think my wife said was a, a very demolished relic of a squirrel. I'm still not sure she's right. That's what it was. But that thing was disgusting. But there's like, you get, you get caught though. Cause you're like, man, that's pretty cool. My dog caught a squirrel. You ever seen how fast a squirrel is? I'm like, yeah, right. But it stunk. Right. Even I could smell it. My nose. I mean, it was just disgusting. That's what happens when we give the enemy just a nail. He hangs dead carcass from it and he ruins the 5,000 square foot of blessings we and I, we, you and I thought we had. We understand why the small things matter. That's what, that's what the enemy did with the small areas in Solomon's life that he didn't yield to God. His lack of submission allowed the enemy to smuggle in spiritual death. And you and I do the same thing. What is it for you? Is it your relationships? Is it your money? Is it your friendships? Is it your music? Where is the enemy smuggling in spiritual death because you've given him just a threshold of the tiny things? Number three. My, my personal favorite, just because I know it's more application than anything else. I love application, right? A good man is brought down by disobedient friends. You want to keep from falling? Not only do you have to believe God's promises, not only do you have to believe God's word, you got to surround yourself with the right people. I honestly think, now I could be way off on this, I honestly think when somebody says, what do I do to make sure I keep my spiritual relationship with God the way it is? Because I've seen so many people that'll get it and, and it'll fall off. I honestly think the number one way, now I'm not, I exclude prayer and reading the Bible. I know those are great and important in your spiritual answer for you a little holier than, this is this section, the holier than thou section, right? I know y'all think I should be saying prayer and, and reading the Bible. I got you, okay? But for the rest of us that aren't holy from like Brian on over, Brian, unless you want to be holy, I can bump you over too. It don't matter. You're going this way, all right. All right, for the rest of us, Surrounding yourself with the right people is the, in my opinion, there's no verse, in my opinion, the number one way you can maintain running into the kingdom the right way. I believe that. I really do believe that, man. Because everybody I've seen fall is because they got messed up with other people. Now, I'm not blaming other people. You, your own person. I'm just telling you ways you can set up a safeguard for yourself. Look at two, two and three. It says this. Solomon got so attached to these women, right, that they began to pull him away from his relationship with Yahweh, right? What is it? it specifically says this. See, Solomon never has a head problem. The verse says this. They turned his heart 
away. He lost his passion for God. And he began to get a passion for other things. Now, the crazy thing that blows my mind, because I've read a lot of what Solomon writes, because I think you can learn a lot from a guy who falls. Okay? But the crazy thing and the ironic thing, I guess you could say, is Solomon's the number one person in Scripture that tells us how important this kind of thing is. Read Proverbs. Here, here's one for you, you can read today. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise will become... It's on the screen. You don't even have to know it. Y'all looking at me like you got to... I didn't call you to memorize Scripture. The Lord did, right? But it's on the screen. He who walks with the wise becomes... But the companion of fools is what? Suffer harm or destroyed, some translations. What happens to Solomon? He gets destroyed. Okay? Do, do you not think? I, I don't even understand how a guy could write this and not have lights going off in his head. But then it goes back to our problem. Our problem isn't head. Our problem is heart. We need to grab that, right? Look at this. You, you can say this. I read, I read this quote just a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was so perfect. for today. It says that your friends are the future you. Now, you can kind of argue that a little bit and say, well, but here's what I think. I think your friends in the present are the future you. I think I could take your five closest friends and I could average them out and I would show you what you would look like in 10 to 20 years. Some of you right now are like, holy crap. Right? You're like, dang. Right? Some of you are thinking, but I hang out with ugly people, not physical looks. Okay? You're not going to get that from them, all right? The most determining influence in your shape for the future, I just now said it, is the companions you choose in the present. That's why we ask our kids so much. They don't even know sometimes when we're doing it. Hey, uh, who's so-and-so? Oh, yeah, what kind of grades they make? What they doing? Where they live at? What they do on Sunday morning? What they do on Wednesday night? Right, that boy quiz them, man. We find it all out, right? Oh, she's pretty. Yeah, but what else? No, I want to go a little deeper. I know that I know that age is coming. I'm no fool, okay? But we need to go a little deeper. What, what else about her? Huh? How else is it going, right? This is one of those practical things that I think sometimes we overlook, guys. We get really motivated to do something great for God, but because of decisions that we make with our friendships, those intentions never happen. I'm being serious. It's not always our, our, our big dreams that are the problem. It's the small things that happen. The small things, right? And, of course, there's there's no one more important when we're talking about friendship. Because I know you're thinking, hold on, now, I was talking about his wife. Well, there's no important friend to me than my wife. That is my number one. All right? He was like, man, you don't hang out with us no more. I don't like hanging out with you. You're not as pretty as she is. You know what I'm saying? She's my number one, man. She's my number one. And now, let's go even further, though. Because here's what breaks my heart. If we know that to be true then why are so many believers intentionally pursuing romantic relationships with people who aren't believers? Right? It's, it's crazy. And, and I wonder sometimes, do we even know what we're doing to our future? Do we even, do, do, do we even understand the, the trouble they're going to set themselves or the, or the, the struggle? I don't, I don't mean it has to fail. I mean it's going to be a struggle, though. Do we, do we really want to set ourselves up for a struggle for our entire future? Right? What does 2 Corinthians 6 say? This isn't just an Old Testament thing, in case you're thinking that, right? Paul writes, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul writes, believers should only marry in the Lord. Right? Now, this is crazy. Because just like with Solomon, when we disobey this, we bring destruction on ourselves, is what it's saying. And then we get crazy and we think this right here. We think a couple things. Some of us sometimes, more so you girls, 
Now, not always, so I'm, not, I'm just saying the, the, you know, kind of like our Wednesday night thing. We're taking the overall majority. You'll say, yeah, but he's not religious at all. So he's not going to get me to worship some, some, some false religion. Like he, he's religious, baby. Okay? He, he might not have another idol in a temple that he's going to. He's, he believes something. And his belief in whatever he believes is going to pull you away. I'm not talking about just religions. He's got something on a pedestal other than Almighty God, Yahweh, and that's a problem. Okay? So we need to grab a hold of that, or we say this, yeah, but I'm the exception. Like, I'm going to pull him, or I'm going to pull her over to believing. Yeah, yeah, everybody has that thought in the beginning, right? No, it doesn't work that way, man. You say, yeah, but I know people that, have, Pastor, it worked with you. Yes, God's grace is awesome when it does work. But it's not his plan, okay? It's not, it's not the way he wanted it to happen, right? And when you know God's rules, I'm talking to believers, when you know God's rules and you flaunt the fact that you're not going to follow them in front of God, yet when something goes wrong, you expect God to fix them. You are mocking God, and God says, I will not be mocked. Do we understand now how serious this is and what we're doing? And just on a practical level, do you really want to gamble that way? If you are wrong? I mean, is that really the gamble you want to make? I'm telling you right now, as a dad, the, the most important thing I'm in control of is my children. Okay? The most influential person in my child's life is not their friends at school. It's not their teacher. It's not any of you. It's my wife. It is. She spends more time with them. She, she, she's there for them. She, 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 you know, she's teaching them. She's molding them. She's checking on them and, and all that stuff along the way. Do I really want to gamble on the future of my child because I picked the wrong one to lead them to be the most influential person around them? Huh? Right? Now, if you're already married, this is a whole different kind of thing. Corinthians 7 has a lot of stuff about it, okay? It says that you stay strong in your passion for the Lord, and your passion for the Lord will pull those others, you know, right back into it. They'll be interested in what you're interested in. But don't mock God by intentionally, purposely doing it against God's will. You understand the point of what I'm really trying to make? All right? And if you're an unbeliever, maybe you're an unbeliever in here. I I, I give you the same advice. Don't you dare get in a relationship with a believer because they're going to try to convert you. Right? They should be. You didn't have the idea to come here this morning, did you? No. They had the idea to come here, right? So, so check that thing out, all right? Solomon says this, Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous man is cautious with his friendships, especially his marriage. Are you guys cautious with your friendships? I mean, being, being real, right? Your most intimate friends ought to be believers. Because what did we just say? You're going to eventually become like that. Now, now let's pause, and I, I got a picture for this, because some of you are thinking, now, Pastor, are you saying that means as believers we can't have unbelieving friends? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Look, look, look at this picture. Maybe. There we go. Here's your picture right here, okay? As a Christian, you should care about everybody. That makes sense. So you've got a care circle. Right? That, 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 that's, that's people who really aren't good for you to be around. That's the best way we can say it. Okay? But, but there are people you, you do know. There are people that you've been around for long periods of time, but you shouldn't spend long periods of time with them. Okay? There, there are people that you care about, but you also are smart enough to limit your time around them. These are people that, yes, you have as a friendship at a distance, and they represent and they stay in that outer circle. Because in all honesty, if you're, if you, you're writing down names and you're thinking about people in this, these are the people you used to get in trouble with. These are the friends that pull you down and you got put on restriction because of, right? Or your wife was really mad at you or your husband, right? They're also your friends that you probably have to pray for the most. We understand how easy it is to figure out who's who here, right? They're friends that you can hang out with. Understand that because God didn't tell you to stay away from these evil people, right? They're friends you hang out with, but you hang out with them on your terms. 
And the minute it's not on your terms, red flag goes up. You know you need to change something. Okay, that's your care soaker. Everybody got it? We go way deeper in this, but you guys won't lunch, I'm sure. Although it's raining, there's really nothing better you can do today. So maybe stay on, right? Second circle, influence. Nobody amen this, so I guess I'll keep going. Second circle, circle of influence. This is for those that influence you. Imagine that, right? Or maybe they inspire you. This is not a person you hang out with weekly normally. Now, now understand how neat this is, right? This means this is a friend. I don't know if you guys got it, but when you got a friend like this, it's awesome. Because it's not a person you spend every week with or every day with. But you can pick up after long periods of time without being with them, and you can run exactly wherever you were the last time y'all were together. That's a good friendship, right? It's nice. It's, it's inspiring, right? They inspire you to be better, even if you only see them on limited time. Okay, so, so we understand kind of influence friends, and you're influencing them, by the way, hopefully, too, if you're in their circle. Maybe that'd be funny if they were in your influence circle, but you had you were in their care circle. Maybe they're the friend you're praying for a lot, right? Now let's get to the inner circle. The inner circle, that, that's reserved for what it says, intimacy, right? These are your ride or die friends. In all honesty, we fall in a trap of wanting everybody to get there. No. When everybody gets in your intimate circle, it's not an intimate circle anymore. Okay? You, 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 you've got three or four people to make this circle at the most. At the most. Yes, if you're married, your spouse should be one of them. Okay? So now you're down only having two or three. Okay? Seriously, seriously, seriously though, look at it. The, the, these are those that, that no matter what, they're your ride or die friends. They love you just the way you are, but they love you too much to leave you that way. Remember what we said about Solomon? He loved these women, but he didn't love them enough to try to change them. They weren't really in his intimate circle. They were in his care circle because he cared about the benefit he could get from them. Right? Understand this, right? They love you the way you are, but they love you too much to leave you that way. Okay? These are people that have come to you and they've got the guts in the relationship with you that you can say, you know what? You've got a problem here. You need to address it. Maybe it's hygiene. They're the person that can tell you stink. Right? You need deodorant. Okay? Telling the boy now that he's getting older. You need deodorant, man. All right? You don't want to be the stinky kid at school. All right? We got that. Because I care about you. All right? And I want to influence you. And I want to advise you the right way because we're your management circle. Okay? Here's, here, here's the big. These are people you intentionally invest in. And they intentionally invest in you. You can't intentionally invest in everyone. Do you understand that? We need to make sure we get that. Sometimes we, we don't like that because we want to. But you cannot intentionally invest in everybody. Right? If you do, what are you going to give them? A penny? Think about it on money terms. You, you can't invest on everybody. You, you just don't have enough to go around. You're human. And that's okay. You can't, maybe you can say it this way. Write this one down. Please, ladies. You can't be best friends with everyone. I use that because you ladies are more like that than us men. Us men don't care. We might not even have a best friend. We just got a bunch of close friends, right? That, that, that's it. But you, you ladies, y'all, y'all want everybody. Oh, she's my best friend. I thought that was your best friend. Yeah, but she's my best friend over here. I, hold on. You can't have more than that. That's why it's called best friend, right? Huh? Yeah, it's BFF, not BFFS, right? Huh? Man. You really brought in letters to this? What in the world, man? Huh? Here, here it is. Love everyone. But loving everyone doesn't mean that you need to share everything with everyone. You only share everything with that inner circle, right? You reserve that for a select few and you choose who they are. You start saying, here, here's where we get in trouble and here's where Solomon got in trouble. You start putting people who are supposed to be in the care circle and the in, uh, in the intimacy circle, you set yourself up for failure. You start taking people who should be in the intimacy circle and you bump them out to the influence circle or the care circle, you've set yourself up for trouble. 
Okay? It's okay to have boundaries. You go down the road, they've got guardrails for a reason. Right? If you ever get on a, on a boat or if you're on, a, on an airplane, right, they tell you, keep your hands inside for a reason. Right? It's okay to have these boundaries. Right? We get this? All right. Who you pick is vital. Number four, a good man is brought down by degrees, not all at once. We understand this sometimes. That slow fade kind of goes back to that, right? If, if we didn't have this study, I wonder how, how much chapter 11 would surprise people. But, but should it? Because when I go back to chapter three, you guys might remember. I know you do because you're, you're holy people and you listen to your pastor very well, right? Chapter three, it said that Solomon wanted to marry the Pharaoh's daughter. He was already married. If he's already married, why is he trying to marry the Pharaoh's daughter? That should have been a huge red flag, right? Slack, loser, jerk, right? Should have been there, but, but he does so. And the bad part is right after he does so and he finally gets stuff back kind of in line, he has these conversations with God. What can I give you, Solomon? I just want to be wise. Solomon, I love what you've done with this place and, and things are going well. Keep up the great work. But if you don't, Solomon, you're going to lose everything you've developed. Look, guys always so honest with us, right? From the very beginning, Solomon has these seeds of doubt and destruction, man. And I'm here to tell you right now, it is those small things that turn into the big things later on in life. It's the small things that we think don't matter that turn into the biggest things later. Okay? He said it Wednesday night. Most uh, uh, adulterous relationships do not start because of a sexual lust. They start because of closeness. Somebody who will give a word. Somebody who will give a little bit of advice. Somebody who will be nice to them. Right? We get that one little nice thing going, and then it's a downward spiral that goes the rest of the way, right? Now, in one sense, when I read this and I, and I think about it being a slow faith, this is encouraging. Because it's not like God didn't know what was going on in Solomon's life, right? Solomon was a compromiser at the very beginning, yet God still chose to invite him to be part of this thing. That's good news for me. Maybe good news for you, too. I don't know. Maybe you're holier than me and you don't need good news, right? So, so it's good news, but it should have been red flags. Another lesson, probably one we may need to understand more, is this. Just because God's blessing you doesn't mean you can ignore the small sins going on in your life. Now, outsiders, we, we get this view more than I think the people who are actively in that site. What I mean by that is this. We look at somebody who's getting blessed by God, but we know isn't living the right way. Well, I don't understand how God is blessing them and not me. And Stop looking at it that way. Because all the blessings that come aren't necessarily what God is trying to do to benefit our relationship with him. Okay? We need to understand this. Nothing, I would say that nothing, we you know, as we talked about friends being the most important, I would say nothing is more dangerous in the, in the Christian life than that sleeper cell of sin. Seriously, that, that one that stays down. Maybe nothing is more vital and nothing's more dangerous for a believer than success. I mean, we even look at David. He did great until he became successful. And that's what began his struggles. Right? Solomon, he's on top of the world, begins his struggles. Spurgeon says it this way, talking about a spider web. He says, at first, they can scarcely be seen. Think about a spider web. You see that, right? They seem as though you could break from them at any moment. Then they become like silken bonds. Then firmer still until a man seems to be enveloped in a triangle of cables. And every cable hardens and becomes as iron or triple steel until at last there's no escaping. The greatest moral catastrophes happen not all of a sudden, but by slow degrees. Spot on, I think. Right? C.S. Lewis has something where he writes calling sin like a cancer and it just spreads in your body until it's eaten away your passion, and your desire for God. 
Be aware of those things that are in your body like cancer that are hidden, that are eaten away, right? What What is your small sin? What, what's, your, what's your sin like you know you do maybe even every day, but you kind of just sleep under the rugs and nobody does it? Is it exaggeration? You know, our, our men just came back from a fishing trip. I can't wait to hear how many exaggeration stories we can get. You know, every man that goes on a fishing trip got to have an exaggeration story, right? Hunting season's here. How many exaggeration stories have we heard? Right? <laughs> right? We got that. Huh? Exaggeration. How about small lies to get you out of a jam? You know the problem? Small lie to get you out of a jam normally gets you in a bigger jam later. True. Right? How about the fear of man? How about, how about a temper that flares up? How about lust? James writes it this way. So James is kind of like the New Testament version of Solomon. He writes this, chapter 1, verse 15. Be warned. Sin starts in you in a wayward desire, a fantasy that turns into a guilty pleasure. Whew. Right? Look, look at the way he writes it. Then after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Wow. Well, what's he really saying? He's saying something that you crave until you can't live without it. And finally, that very thing is what destroys you. Wow. Right? Kind of like he, he goes on a little later in, in James, so the men upstairs know this because we study, right? He, he, he describes it like a fire. That if that fire that's left unchecked eventually burns down the entire house. Church, we got to take sin seriously. Right? You could say it this way. You either got to be actively killing sin or sin's going to be actively killing you. There's, there's no idle moment in a relationship with sin, right? Where are you letting it ride? Where are you letting it become a time bomb? Last point. Number five. I think they relate to very number four really well. A good man is brought down by deceptive overconfidence. That's where Solomon's at, man. Solomon's at the top of success. He's at the high point of his life. He's got everything going. He's got the influence of the world. He's got the greatest uh, period of peace. He's got all the kingdoms united for the first time ever and the last time ever. I mean, he's got everything going great. And when everything goes great, here, here's the thing you got to be a warner. When everything goes great, that's when you let down your guard. When you think peace is all around you, that's when you let down your guard, right? Solomon brought his own destruction because he bought into his own hype. Right? Isn't it easy sometimes if somebody's always... Now, I'm not saying it doesn't feel good to always be talked up, right? It does. But isn't it easy sometimes if somebody's always talking you up that you kind of start to think more high yourself than you ought to? Right? Now, you conceited people are thinking, no, I would never do that. You do it all the time. You just don't want to admit it. It's okay, right? Few things, I said a minute ago, few things destroy us faster than success. Success makes us forget how desperately we need God's grace. It does, man. It's, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy because God, like God wants you to live a successful life, right? But he never wants you to forget what got you there. But that human nature that we're wrapped in, we want to get into a successful life. And as soon as we get there, we want to forget everything else that was behind us. It's why your testimonies are so important, man. I can't tell you how important the end of this year is going to be for people on Wednesday nights. When you come and you share a testimony and you talk about years that sucked and then years that are great and maybe years that sucked again. I don't know. Maybe you got a roller coaster going on in life, right? It's so important because one, it lets everybody else who's listening to you know, oh, this is normal. You can feel normal, right? I think it's probably one of the most vital things for like an AA or NA meeting. You think, well, you're surrounded by guys who are struggling with the same, or ladies who are struggling with the same thing you're struggling with. You, you don't feel alone anymore. You know, like, I don't have to take this alone. There are other people like me who want to fight this battle with me, right? We need that. But at the same time, as you're telling the testimony, and if you write it down or, or go back or whatever, that's good too. But as you go back, you're, you're being reminded of how much of God's grace and love had to bring you out of those high moments or low moments or both. Okay? So, so it's important, man. It's vital, right? It's awesome. I would say this. 
Now, I know I'm probably not talking to too many of us in the room, but there are some of us that have been pastors or, or, or counselors or, or spiritual leaders or Sunday school teachers or whatever. Else. And I think this right here is the number one reason pastors or spiritual leaders fail, right? Because we forget, and I'll use the term we, we forget that we're made of the same stuff the people we preach to are. Let's get real about it and get honest, right? We forget to be on our guard against sin. You, you could say it this way. If you ever cease to be a participant of grace and only a preacher of grace, disaster's right around the corner. So believers who have been there for a long period of time, beware. Beware. If you're only preaching grace and not being a participant of it, growth and, and, and grace is the primary, mean, primary means of a realization that you need more grace. It is. You realize how dependent you are on it. You show me a Christian whose dependence on grace is not greater than when they started, and I'll show you a Christian whose growth is artificial and fragile. I'll show you the Christian that's failing or about to fail and won't know why. Because they forgot about that grace. They, they forgot about that love. Right? Solomon is a guy who had it all. Had everything, man. A guy who had everything. He's on top. Yet he gets brought down. The wisest, most successful man that ever lived. Yet his wisdom and success couldn't keep him from destroying himself. Maybe a great lesson as we, we kind of end part one of First Kings is this from Solomon, right? We need something more than knowledge and wisdom. That sounds kind of weird, right? Says we, we need something more than that, right? What do we say about Solomon? He had it all right here, but his struggle was right here. If all you do is memorize a bunch of scripture and know how to quote stuff and play the game, but it never penetrates your heart and changes the way you actively live, you're missing it, man. You're missing it. I think there's more unbelievers that have allowed the gospel to penetrate their heart than there are believers sometimes. Which, if it breaks my heart, it's got to break God's heart. Right? We got all these believers, so-called Christians in churches every Sunday, they got all the head knowledge, but ain't doing nothing with it. They're not reaching out to other people in the circles. They're not trying to influence anybody. They're not giving when it's time to give. And I'm not talking about no tithe. Your tithe is the base, man. Okay? I mean, we don't talk about tithing a lot, but let me make sure you understand this. What you drop in that box is like the base of what you give. Right? That's the base. That means when you leave here, you ought to be giving to other people. And it ought to not. We, we, here's what we do. We do math. We say, you know what? I gave 10% last Sunday. I'll give 8% to Brookhaven this Sunday. I'll give the other 2% to the. No! No, you don't get it divided up that way. That's that, that's crazy, right? Your offering is your offering. Your tithe is your tithe. And your blessing to other things is your blessing to other things. Could you imagine if you felt led by God to give like a big gift to somebody? And you're like, well, I can only give you half of it because last week I had to give the other half to the church. What is that going to tell that person? They're going to hate the church because they could have had the whole gift. Right? What if you give them half a car? Well, you can have you can have the right side of the car, but you can't have the left side yet because I had to give that half to the church. What are they thinking? Right? Man, guys, the problem with most of us, though, it's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we lack the will to do it. We lack the will to do it. God's laws and God's wisdom, they're like railroad tracks. This is a good illustration. They're like railroad tracks. They can only point you in the right direction to go, but they are powerless to move the freight on the tracks. Right? powerless to move freight on the tracks. All there are is tracks giving you the direction to go. You got to supply the power to get the train moving. Right? This song has some lines in it. it talks about broken pieces. And God wanted to take it, take them and make them whole and, and whatnot. All I can think about, I think this is a perfect song, by the way. 
All I can think about with this song though is how many, how many times God had to break Solomon. Now we don't, we don't know how many years verse 14 to verse 43 are. It could be five years. It could be 10 years. It could be 20 years. I don't know. Some people believe it, it was right after that 20 year mark because we know, yeah, 13 years, well, 24 year mark, I guess would be the most accurate estimate. Because you got the four years of gathering material, you got the seven years of building the temple, you got 13 years of building his house, and now you're at 24 years. And they say then is when started his downward. I would think it's less than that. Because I find it hard to believe a guy could really build all that and immediately start going down. Right? So I think it took a little, because I like that slow fade, because that's us. We get into the slow fade. I think it took him a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And then it got fat. You know, you know the, you know the reason you flow downhill faster the more you weigh? Because you're holding on to so much stuff. Some stuff we just got to let go of so we stop flowing so fast, right? Think about it. But, but, I, but I love this. Because when it talks about broken pieces, we look at that as like just punishment. Yes, it's punishment. But I really look at it as God's grace as well. Because I look at it as God is saying, I love them too much to just let them do. You know, like Solomon and his wives. I love them. No, you didn't. You didn't even try to convince them. Right? If you truly love somebody, you do everything you can to benefit them. Even hurt them. Parents, listen to me. Sometimes you got to hurt a kid. Not in a physical way now. Well, I don't know. Maybe sometimes. But, you know, think about it, though. Tough love is real. Right? Tough love is real. And kids, there'll be a day when you understand. Holy crap. Mom and dad knew what they were talking about. Right? I'm still learning it. Okay? Surround yourself with friends sometimes that are not afraid to step on your toes. They're not afraid to yank you up. I'm going to tell you, to me, it's what's so vital. I, I love being down here with everybody for the end of the year. But it's what's so vital about my, uh, January when we get back in that upper room. Those guys up there, we'll call each other out. Okay? But it's because we'll be honest up there, too. If you're not honest, well, you can't get called out, right? You can just pretend. Take off your mask. Be in the right circle. Don't take your mask off if you're in the wrong circle. Right? Take your mask off in the right circle. And let's begin to let God move us through relationships, through his word, through trust, and through a belief in him. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, I thank you that, that in just the beginning of this chapter, Lord, we get so many lessons, so many, so many life applications, God. And I pray that it not just be neat things that we hear, Lord God, not just things that we agree with, but things that we're bold enough and start acting on. God, I pray today that we go home and we, we either get rid of some relationships that need to be getting rid of, or, or we move them to the circle they need to be in. God, do we heed the advice of those that love us and care about us so that we can be drawn closer to you? Lord, that we read your word and not just be something that penetrates our, our brain and our mind, Lord God, but that we allow it to go a little deeper and get in our heart. Affect how we live. Affect the decisions we make, the choices we make, the things we say, what we do with our money, what we do with our time, what we do with everything, God, because we're just stewards of your stuff. Lord, I just pray that you increase our trust. And I pray, Lord, just like when, when one's repelling, Lord God, that the first time you let go, Lord God, of everything and you just fall back and the rope holds you. God, I pray that we feel that same peace and relief when you grab a hold of us. Lord, carry us when we can't carry ourselves. Increase our trust enough, Lord God, to know there's some things we got to get rid of or let go of that we've been trying to control. Lord, in your great and holy name we pray. We love you. Amen.